Enterprising in my surroundings, I'm finding the quietest estates these days. This representation of storm brewing amazed that the focus remains the vocal focal point of my change. Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Chittam, and this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there who are working hard to get better while balancing running with the rest of their lives. And this show was presented as always. By Mercury Mile. Mercury Mile has the best, highest quality running gear around, and they'll send it right to your home in a box, four to six items that you will absolutely love. And if you don't, shoot, you just send it right back to them free of charge. It's so easy, it's extremely affordable, and man, they just send you the best stuff. And that's the best part. They know all of the highest quality gear that's just out on the market, they work with the best brands. And so many of the things that I've gotten from them, so I get a box every season, and so many of the things that I've gotten from them, I didn't even know that some of these products were available, and if they hadn't sent them to me, shoot, I probably wouldn't have found them. And I'm a busy guy, you're a busy person, and this is the best way for busy people to get the most high-quality, best-running gear around. Go to mercurymile.com today and use code RAMBLINGRUNNER10 at checkout to save Ten dollars. So today's episode is with Lindsay Walter. This woman is amazing. I was aware of her, um, just her propensity for racing all the time, which you'll hear about in this episode. But I also learned even more recently when she was featured in Runner's World. And this woman has overcome a lot. She has alopecia, and you'll hear about the just the the transition over the course of her life that she's experienced in terms of just dealing with this and um, just kind of getting a handle on it and really loving who she is as a person inside and out. And it really is a remarkable story. And I really appreciate her coming out of this episode. And as you'll hear when this episode starts, man, everyone who knows me knows I love talking hoops. And as a former college basketball player, she was game to do that. So I was all about that. She played at University of Minnesota Duluth, which is a Division II school. And hey, man, anytime I can get a hooper on the podcast, I'm going to do it. That's for sure. So I hope you enjoy this episode with Lindsay Walter. Hello, Lindsay, and welcome to the Rambling Runner podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. I really appreciate it. I have to be, you know, full disclosure. We've already done the first 10 minutes of this episode already, but we're going to do it again because <laughs> I got a brand new recording app that has worked really well for me. And I just wanted to say thank you for your patience. And I can't wait to shoot. You're, you're such a good story. I could, I could have that first 10 minute conversation every day. <laughs> well, thank you so much. I'm excited. Yeah. So let me just first of all say, Anytime I can get another former college basketball player on the podcast, it's a great day for the Rambling Runner podcast. <laughs> so let me just first say, you know, congrats, congratulations on being a hooper. It makes us, you know, it makes the world a better place for all those, all those basketball players. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. All right. So let's just touch that real quick. Where, where did you play college ball? Um, University of Minnesota Duluth. Nice. And what division is that? Um, division two. That's a big deal out there. All those state schools, the Wisconsin schools, the, the Minnesota schools, you guys have such good sports out there for the lower college level. Yeah, there's a ton of Division two schools. It took me forever to make a decision, just so many options. But yeah, there definitely is, is a lot up there. Okay. So now that we got the basketball stuff out, we might touch on it again because sometimes I just cannot help myself. This is a running <laughs> podcast, so we'll touch on that as well. But one of the things that I wanted to talk to you about, which is kind mm-hmm. of like, kind of like a thread that's going to touch on a lot of the topics that we'll talk about today 
is the fact that you have alopecia. So let's talk, first of all, when did, first of all, what, what, what form of alopecia do you have and when did it become apparent to your family that you had it? So I have um, alopecia universalis. And so when I was born, I was born with a beautiful head of red hair. Um, and then when I was about 18 months, um, it started to fall out just with like little um, quarter size. And then within a couple of weeks, I was completely bald. And since it's universalis, I don't have any arm hair, any leg hair or anything like that. Um, I do get some eyelashes that come in the summer, however, a little bit of peach buzz. Um, but otherwise, that's all the hair I have. So what was it like for your parents when this started happening, when you were just, you know, an infant and just, you know, not even a toddler yet? What was that experience like for them? Because it must have, I'm assuming, been kind of fear inducing. Yeah, it was definitely really scary because they had no idea what was actually going on. And at the time, there wasn't really a lot of information or anything about alopecia. So the first hospital that they took me to, I grew up right outside of Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and they didn't even know what it was. So the first children's hospital they take me to, they have no idea. I still have no hair. And so it, was, it wasn't until they took me to the hospital in the Twin Cities that they right away diagnosed me with alopecia. Um, but yeah, it was really scary just going to the doctor and having the doctor say, I have no idea why she doesn't have hair. <laughs> right. Because in your problem, you know, they must have been wondering if there was some sort of systemic issue going on mm -hmm. that was leading to this. And, you know, I think oftentimes when people see, you know, the bald head or, you know, someone without yep. any hair, you know, obviously for, from a, from an outsider perspective, the first thing that someone may think is chemotherapy. Obviously your parents didn't yep. think that because they, it was, you know, it was their child, but mm -hmm. you know, I think that's like the first thing that comes in your brain. And, you know, that can be just, just to have that as the foundation for a thought can really set up a, like a negative string of, uh, of, uh, of thoughts and consequences. Of course. Yeah. I feel like, especially too, when you don't have any of the information, you just kind of like assume the worst. Um, but yeah, it was definitely really scary for them. Just having no idea. Now, when did you start to realize that it, you were different from the other kids in this regard? Um, definitely when I started to go to preschool, um, I had worn a wig pretty much like after I lost my hair. Um, shortly after that, I got my first wig, um, really just because there was no one else like in my community who had alopecia. There was no really support groups at that time or anything. And I just really wanted to be like all the other kids. And I feel like my parents also wanted me to just have like a normal kind of, um, childhood, like everybody else and not look different. Um, so I wore a wig. Um, you know, ever since I really can remember, but I remember just like in preschool, um, just having this thing out of my head and just the kind of task of like taping it every day and just kind of the upkeep with it. So really when I was old enough to kind of start, you know, brushing my own teeth and kind of, you know, doing the basic stuff for yourself is really when I, you know, really noticed that I didn't have hair and that I was wearing a wig. Right. And now what are some, besides not having my husband's not having hair from like a physical perspective, like people notice it and you're aware of it. What are some of the drawbacks or negatives re regarding alopecia that maybe someone would be less familiar with? Um, so yeah, obviously not having the hair on the head, um, but also not having eyebrows. I feel like, um, I guess you probably don't really realize this. Um, but just because you do have like the hair on your eyebrows, it definitely like stops your sweat. Um, having eyelashes really does help to keep like the dust and little particles out of your eyes. And since I don't have that, I'm always wearing a hat and a headband and things like that when I'm sweating. 
just because it just gets in my eye so much worse. Um, and then also like my nose hair. <laughs> um, I don't have any nose hair and for a really long time, I would get these like terrible bloody noses just like year round. It didn't matter like the season. And I'm like, it can't be dry like all the time. I don't understand like why I'm getting all like these nosebleeds. And it wasn't until a few years ago when I was just um, at like a regular checkup, my doctor actually pointed it out just because I don't have nose hair. So all the time, like little particles and dust pollen, especially is just always getting in my nose. And that was actually causing my nosebleeds. Um, that's just another kind of, I guess, side effect of alopecia. Got it. That's so funny because I would have never thought that, you know what I mean? Especially with like, as someone who's now like, as a 38 year old man, like having to, <laughs> to trim that now, it's like, obviously like it's a, a sign of old age that I'm not fully embracing, but I feel like you must get this a lot where you almost say like, Oh my goodness, you're so lucky because you don't have to do X, Y, Z. And when you have those sorts of comments, how do you usually approach that? Um, so I feel like. A few years ago, when I wasn't really at um, like an okay state with my alopecia, I would get really angry and just be like, no, like I want to shave my legs. Like I want to have hair. And I would just get really kind of uh, annoyed at people that would say that. And it would just kind of hurt me. And I feel like it would really make me feel like I was really different than everyone else. Um, but like now today, I am totally okay with my alopecia. So then I'm like, yeah, you're right. I don't have to shave. I take a two minute shower. Like I've never bought shampoo. Um, and so now like my perspective of it is just kind of, it's like a joke to me and like, I don't feel offended by it at all, but definitely like a few years ago, I would be really like sad when people would say that to me. Now let's go back to like middle school, high school days when mm -hmm. you were, you still had the wig on, you hadn't embraced alopecia the way you have now. Mm -hmm. What was that like from a social perspective? Um, my gosh. Um, I feel like middle school in general, it just, it's tough for everybody just being, you know, trying to like transition, you're like trying to grow into your body and all that stuff that's happening. Um, but middle school honestly was like the worst time for me. Um, kids would, I mean, kids knew that I had alopecia or that I wore a wig and I was bullied and teased all the time. And I just like when kids would say like, oh, Lindsay has no hair or like they would call me baldy. I would just like let them make fun of me and I wouldn't tell the teachers and I wouldn't even really tell my parents about it just because I had no confidence in myself and I didn't want to draw attention to myself. Um, I didn't want to make the kids like, like me less by tattling on me. And there was an instance where um, someone did rip off my wig in gym class and it honestly was just like my worst like nightmare come true. Um, and I mean, I'll never forget it. I'll never forget like the girl's face. And yeah, kids were just really terrible to me. And honestly, if I could just, <laughs> yeah, I feel like I'll never forget middle school, but it definitely wasn't easy. And I feel like not having confidence um, to stick up for myself also made it like a lot harder. Now, if you could go back and relive those years, knowing what you know now, um, or I guess presenting in a different way, if you could advise someone who was going through, you know, something now that you'd gone through and in the past, um, how would you, how would you, you know, either approach it differently or advise someone else to approach those sorts of situations that they're going through something similar? I would say, um, no matter who it is, just, um, make sure you always have like a friend or a parent or a mentor or just someone that you can always talk to and don't like go at it by yourself. Um, I feel like when I just kind of kept those feelings to myself, it made every everything seem like it was 10 times worse because I had nobody else to talk to about it. And I think like 
Had I just told somebody, I wouldn't have had all this like pent up like sadness and anger and frustration and all the things I felt. Um, and I think too, also just having like a comeback, not anything mean. Uh, I don't feel like if someone's mean to you, I just feel like you shouldn't be mean back to them. But I think just having a comeback or something that you can say back to them. I feel like if I had like a go-to phrase, that definitely would have helped me a lot as well, instead of just like allowing someone to treat me that way. Um, I mean, yeah, just never allow yourself to be treated poorly because I mean, no one deserves to be treated in a negative way. Now you played college basketball, you've run dozens mm-hmm. of marathons and you're not even 30 yet. It, you know, you, <laughs> you are obviously a high level athlete um, in regards to what you've been able to do. When did you start coming into your own as an athlete um, at this time? And how did that affect some of this, this social, um, just the, kind of the social difficulties you were going through? Um, I would say, well, basketball was like, that was kind of my life, like middle school and high school. And I would say I really started to come to my own, like in the basketball world, definitely like when I was in middle school. And when I um, joined like an AAU team, um, something that I would do is like, to deal with my alopecia is like, I wouldn't tell my coach about it just because I was still like embarrassed about it. Um, but in between games, I would have to like run out because you play multiple games like on a Saturday. Um, and I would have to go. Right. So to, like, if, if people don't know, people don't know AAU mm-hmm. is like, it's like, like a traveling club oh. team and you go to a tournament and you play like seven games in like two and a half days. And it's like, it's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And I would just like, you'd be so sweaty. Um, and I would have to like run out to my dad's car in between games and he would like hold up like a towel so I could like take my wig off and like dry off my head. And then I would have to like retape it or I would use glue just so like my wig wouldn't come off. And um, it was just something that like I had to do in between games and like the rest of my teammates would like go to lunch or wherever. And I would never go because I, you know, had to take care of like my alopecia and I was very fearful of like my wig coming off. I felt like during the game, I wasn't worried about it because I was so focused on the game. But like during like timeouts or if I was on the bench, like I definitely would try to like readdress my wig and I was always so like self-aware of it or like every, I can think of so many times I was like going up for a layup and someone would like knock me down and I could like feel my wing like go up a bit and it definitely was like so scary and always a thought like in the back of my head but I definitely went to very extreme measures to keep my wig on as far as like glue and tape um but yeah now you, you mentioned a couple times that that was like the nightmare scenario right mm-hmm. the, the wig coming off how does that nightmare end in those scenarios like so 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 obviously someone's you know either the weight comes off mm-hmm. in you know in like these like little like daydreams that you have or like it gets you know moved around and people can see that it's a wig like what 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 is the resolution like what happens in that nightmare scenario that's so terrifying um just having everybody know and i feel like just being so um exposed just because alopecia was not something that i talked about very few people like knew that i had it um, and so I think, yeah, just being like in my most vulnerable state, like without my wig on in front of an entire gymnasium of people, it was just my biggest fear. And I just never felt, um, like pretty or anything like that. And so I think like people would just look at me and think I was like a freak. Um, and it just was absolutely terrifying. Now, what would you have to, what would you have to do to keep the wig on, um, you know, during athletics and like, what was the. And not only that, but like, what would that resulting adhesive or whatever do to your scalp? Um, 
Yes. So in like my everyday life, um, with my wig, there would be like three little sewn in patches, um, the front and then on each side, just like right above my ear. And I would use double sided tape. Um, in that, you know, it's definitely a lot like, I guess, stickier than a band aid would be. Um, and so I would put three pieces of tape on just every day. And that's something that I had used if I knew like I wasn't going to be doing much that day or like it was a light workout. I wasn't going to be sweating as much and kind of ripping it off every day. I would just get these huge sores in my head and they would cut my head. They would bleed just like blisters, um, all of that. And but I would still continue to do it because there was no way like I wasn't going to wear my wig. And in the summer, my head would just like break out like crazy, just like being, I guess, like stuck in that hot, sweaty wig. Um and then when I was like older in college, just knowing that I was going to have my wig on all the time I used glue. Um, it's a special kind of glue that was like made for wigs, but just to stay on. And you could imagine like having something glued and then just like trying to pull it off. Um, it definitely like broke open my head like crazy. And I would put these big band-aids on after just for it to heal. Um, but yeah, I definitely also used glue. And then just to hide like the back of my wig. I had like this really thick headband I would wear. So it would like go around. Um, and so people couldn't see like the cap, like underneath my ponytail. And I always wear like a low ponytail just to like distract away from just anyone seeing that it could be a wig. Now, would you wear the wig when you were at home by your, not, not by yourself, but like, if you're like you, you're at home, you're at home with your family where you were wearing it. Uh, most of the time. Yes. When, why was that? I just didn't feel, um, comfortable. I felt, um, I don't know. I felt like it definitely was like a burden. And as I mentioned, like it just wasn't really something that was ever really talked about. And I never really felt like fully accepted by it. Um, and I was, I was really embarrassed of like my bald head and I don't know. I just, I just didn't feel comfortable. And so I wore it most of the time, um, even in college with my roommates and stuff like that. Like I remember, my freshman and sophomore year, like, I didn't even tell my roommates that I had alopecia. Um, and it wasn't until, like, my junior year that I, like, finally told one of my roommates. But when I, when I was home, I was, like, in my room. And then if my doors were closed, I would take my wig off. But if I would go out in the kitchen to get, like, a glass of water or something, I would put my wig on just to, like, go to the bathroom or to the kitchen. Now, did you ever have anyone come up and tell you, like, basically, like, whisper in your ear, like, I know? Like, it's like in the oh. sense, not, not, not a negative <laughs> okay. sense, but like a positive, like you don't have to like cover this up. I, I'm aware or anything like that. Um, never in a positive sense. No. Um, oh, okay. yeah, it definitely was more of like in a negative, um, way. Um, but yeah, I think just because everyone who, you know, maybe knew I had alopecia, I think everyone knew that I just like, wasn't really okay with it. And so they, cause I never talked about it. I think like even my closest friends, like they didn't say anything, um, just because they knew like I had never said anything about it. Okay. But they were, they were aware. They just, it was just went unsaid. Right. Right. Yep. Okay. So let's talk about the beginning of your running career. So you played hoops. Yeah. Um, yep. You know, Division two basketball, which is a big deal. So obviously you were a really good athlete. What was the start of um, your decision to go into running? So I went to college, yeah, in Duluth, and they have Grandma's Marathon, which was just this past weekend. And um, I had always seen like the marathon because I would go like down in Canal Park every summer and just like watch the marathoners come through. And so I had seen it ran a couple times. Um, and my senior year, I just... I'm just naturally like such a competitive person. And I thought like a marathon, that is amazing. Like that had been on my bucket list. I was never a runner like before that at all. 
but I had just wanted to run a marathon, like cross off my bucket list and just like say I did it. And that's kind of where like my running career, I guess, started um, just being competitive and wanting to do one. All right. So what was the <laughs> the time between having that realization and then executing it? So we weren't allowed to do any kind of like distance training or anything like that that was outside of our basketball workouts until after the postseason. Um, so from about April until mid-June was like my time frame to train for Grandma's Marathon. And um, kind of just being like very like naive and just not really knowing what I was doing. I just went on like a couple long runs and just I was like, oh, it's just running like I can I can run. I don't like to, but I can still do it. Um, and so that was kind of like my mindset as far as like training was just kind of going like, I guess, half in and just looking back like, yeah, definitely didn't train the way I should have didn't eat and all of that stuff the way I should have. But yeah, I did it. <laughs> so what year in college were you? Um, I was going into my senior year. Oh, wow. So that so yep. you really bit off a lot there. So what about that race? led you to wanting to do more and more marathons, considering that, as you mentioned, it's not like you went into it, um, you know, fully trained or, you know, with a lot yeah. of knowledge. <laughs> so what, what led you to kind of keep that, keep it going? Yeah. Um, I just remember, I'll never forget this. I just remember being like, so excited, like adrenaline's going, I'm like, Oh, it's marathon weekend. It's marathon day. And just, so they like bust us up, like up the North shore, like 26 miles. And of course you're like sitting out there for, you know, a long time until the race starts. I just remember I was like sitting with all these runners and everyone was just so nice. And like, I didn't know like anybody that, you know, was doing it. All my friends were like waiting at the finish line. And I just had so many people like coming up to me and saying like, Oh, good luck. Like how did training go? And just everyone just felt really supportive. And that's not, I feel like what it's really like in basketball, just because it's like your team. But if you're not on your team, like you're not really cheering for like someone else's team. And so right away, I just got this really like kind of team vibe. And I just remember like taking off like down the streets and just surrounded by like thousands upon thousands of people. And even though like it's a race, everyone was just like so encouraging, like giving thumbs up and like high fives. And it just was like such an awesome feeling. And like when I was running just with like the like on the side, I just had felt so strong and empowered. Like every step I took, I just was feeling like, wow, like this is such an amazing feeling. Like I just felt like I could truly like do anything and like no sport or game that I had ever played had given me like that same feeling. And then like kind of coming like back down into town the last couple of miles. And just like when you see just like the crowds of people like starting to go, everyone just like screaming and like going crazy. And then just like crossing that finish line. I was like, it was the most incredible feeling just crossing the marathon finish line being like, I'm a marathoner and just something like throughout like that run, just like the feelings that like it brought of just like strength. Um, just made me like fall in love with the sport. I was like, this is awesome. I can't wait to run another marathon. And yeah, just the whole race itself. So you didn't have like that quintessential suffer fest that like most first time marathoners have. I actually didn't. Um, definitely afterwards, I was very dehydrated. I definitely didn't nourish properly. I didn't drink any water or anything like that. So definitely the recovery. Afterwards. Dude, you didn't drink any water. Like. <laughs> No, I I'm just like, I'm I didn't laughing know you because were so like <laughs> I'm laughing because like you probably had water every time you ever came out of a basketball game, but you didn't think to drink right. during a marathon. Well, no, because my biggest fear, I was like, what if I have to go in a porta potty? I don't want to have to use a porta potty, and so I was like, I'm not going to drink any water. Yeah, I just porta potties really gross me out, and so I was like, I don't want to like have to use that, and I wasn't 
And like, I felt like I wasn't really thirsty because I was so dehydrated that I didn't realize like how thirsty I was, but I didn't stop at any of the aid stations and I just kept going. (laughs) Bold strategy. (laughs) Yeah. It definitely wasn't a smart (laughs) strategy, but... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I know. So it's, it's funny. It's funny the things you learn, right? So, so at that point, oh, you were yeah. just like, you were itching to do another one. Mm-hmm. Um, you had that amazing race experience, which as mm-hmm. you're even telling, I'm like getting goosebumps because it really yeah. is one of those things where, <laughs> and as you know, you've done a lot of these now. That doesn't happen necessarily in every race, at least at that intensity. What was it like for you? Um, getting back to training, which like, there is no, like, like, obviously you're not going to get that feeling on a training run very often. So what was that like for you, um, transitioning from, you know, whether it was post-college or whenever to, you know, a training model Mm -hmm. that isn't that group team vibe that you love so much in basketball and love so much in the marathon where it's, you know, it's just more, much more like a solo endeavor. Um, yeah, so that definitely was very, I, this still like surprised me because I had always been like on teams my whole life. And then when I really got into marathon running, um, I was like in Charlotte and I had found like, I love to just like put my music on and I just love to run by myself. Like, I don't really like to run with people. I like to do it by myself. Feel like just being like very like self-disciplined. And since I wasn't, you know, a runner before, like even now, like I still love it. I love all the training runs and everything like that because I felt like I have been ever hit like that burnout because I never really like ran in the past. And so like I was researching like how to train, like how to actually train for a marathon. Like what kind of runs do you do? What kind of workouts do you do? But like I was just trying all these things to see like what really worked for me. So it was still like very exciting because I had really no idea what I was doing. Um, and so yeah, it just felt like this whole new adventure and I had yeah, I just really love to do it like by myself. I really found like that was my me time where I would just like think about things of the day or just like ways to like de-stress. Um, and so like I had found that I just like love doing it and especially like by myself. <laughs> and it's nice that you found your next athletic challenge while you were still mm-hmm. playing basketball because it seems like you were able to then really transition without any serious breaks in time from one sport to the next. Mm -hmm. Definitely. I was able to jump right in and I'm so grateful for that. Um, just because I feel like after playing like college basketball and having that all your life, um, and just having like that be everything to not jump into something right away. I felt like that would have been really hard just because I like need to compete. I need to like train for something. Um, and so it just like made it a lot easier to just to kind of keep with like the same mindset and like the same work ethic instead of trying to like motivate myself back into like I guess like working out and training. Um, but yeah, it was a pretty easy transition. Yeah. And that's something that a lot of college athletes struggle with is that post-college, you know, I feel like some people talk about, you know, for the normal college student, there's the freshman 15, right? You enter mm-hmm. college and then you know, all of a sudden you have, you know, buffet style eating combined with you're probably not on, on sports teams like you have in the past. And then, you know, the confluence of those things, you know, leads to weight gain. You see us a lot. You know, for freshman mm-hmm. college, this is not a new concept. I didn't invent this term, but it's just, it's just <laughs> so ubiquitous that we all have heard about it. With that said, for college athletes, it's more so like the post-college 15 or 25 or 30, because now it's like, you know, it's that, you know, multiplied where all of a sudden you're going from high level activity, year round training to like, I don't even know what to do anymore. And so many athletes, I feel like that first year out, like experienced this like awkward transition from, you know, very, very active to 
completely sedentary and it like it's like such a burden to then like try to get back into it i totally agree with that i had teammates and i know people that like that happened to i feel like because you're invested in something that's like your whole life and you do it day in and day out and all of a sudden you don't have that and you're kind of lost because you're like that was like what i would prioritize like i would you know sometimes choose my sport over like my friends and things like that and so when you don't have that i feel like yeah it's definitely hard now, when did you transition from thinking of yourself as a basketball player to thinking think about yourself as a runner? Um, so definitely after that first marathon, um, obviously, like I came back and played like my senior year um, and everything. And it was awesome. And I loved it. But I always knew like after that, I already knew like the marathon I was going to do like right when basketball was done with. And I was like already looking forward to that. Um, but after that, like after I ran a marathon, I was like, I'm a runner. And it was crazy um, just because like I would always see like the track and cross country team and just I would think like back to in high school, like when you would have to run like the mile in PE and I'd be like, oh, not the mile. That's so far. Um, but yeah, definitely like right after my first marathon, I knew I wanted to be a runner. Just something clicked and it just was like the best feeling. And so I knew like that's what I was going to do. So. A little while ago, you had a feature article in Runner's World, which, by the way, how cool is that? <laughs> it's so surreal. Like, I can't even. Yeah, it's surreal. Yeah, it was, it was great to read it. I, I, you know, I liked, I was already following you to begin with, but then to read that article, you know, it was, it was, um, I wouldn't say emotional to read it, but there's a little mm -hmm. bit of that because you touch on a couple of different things that I thought were, were really interesting. Um, and I really appreciated your candor in sharing them. And the one that really, you know, got to me was describing when you decided to take off the wig. Would you mind retelling that story for me? Yes. Um, so I felt like always like my whole life, like wearing my wig, there I definitely had a lot of times where I didn't feel like it was really me. And I felt like I was really hiding behind this wig, but I didn't really know like how to just like not wear it. I didn't really have like a ton of like support or people that were really like on board with that. So that was really hard. Um, and then even like my first couple years of running, like I still wore my wig all the time, but it really was like the more like I was running and this never happened with basketball. I feel like that's why running is like so special. And I'm so glad that like I found it just because the more I was like running like these races, the more I was having people like saying like, congratulations, like great job. And just or just like commenting on like just all of the positive things and never once like about Malapisha or like what my hair looked like or anything like that. Um, and so like the more I was running, I was just finding like this more like confidence in myself and I'd been like running and it was like a 20 mile training day before the San Diego marathon. And it's hard to really explain like what really like, I guess like came over me, but I had always like prayed and like wished for this moment where I could just like not wear my wig. And I had taken small little baby steps like leading up to this. Like I would go to the grocery store, like with a hat on and then not wear my wig to the grocery store, which was a really big deal for me, but that definitely took me a really long time. I mean, I wore my wig for like a good 20 years. Um, but yeah, on this run, like I had my wig on and it wasn't, I didn't start off saying like, I'm going to do this. Um, but around like mile 16, I'm like coming back, like, um, towards my house and something just like came over me. And I remember I like crossed right into the greenway and I just like ripped my wig off, um, just like overcome with just like strength and just like, I couldn't believe I did it. And I just like stopped and I like started to cry and I had this like disgusting sweaty wig in my hand and, but it was like the most beautiful moment of like, yes, I finally did. I had always dreamed of this moment. Um, and I remember like, I just 
held my wig in my hand and I just like ran the rest of, rest of the way home. And then I just hung it up in my shower. And for like the first time, I like really like looked at myself and like just like bare face, like no makeup, bald head. And I just like truly felt like so beautiful and just so strong. And I had like never felt like that. I had never been like a confident person in myself. And I just like had all of these like positive feelings about myself. And and then after that, um, I just stopped wearing my wig. I still had moments where I would wear it for like certain things. Um, but yeah, definitely was like the biggest turning point and really like propelled me to make that decision to just not wear it. So when you started that run, did you have any mm-hmm. inkling that that would happen? Like it's just looking back on it now, you know, with, mm-hmm. with 2020 clarity, um, do you think that, you know, subconsciously that you had a feeling that that might happen or did it really was it just really this like lightning strike of an epiphany it really was a lightning strike um i had started out just knowing like i have to get this 20 mile run done and but like when i run i feel like i just have all of these things all of these thoughts that like come to my mind and i just think of like um just so many moments of just like overcoming obstacles and just i feel like that's where i do like my best thinking and so like it didn't happen until like into the run, I remember I definitely was thinking about like malopecia and like certain moments and things like that. Um, and then it just kind of happened and I just took my wig off. And what was the response from loved ones and from, from just people who, who maybe didn't even know you at all? Uh, you know, the first couple of days and weeks after you made that decision. Um, it was amazing. I definitely was really nervous. Um, just because a lot of people, whether they knew or not, I had not really told many people that I had alopecia and just like the outpouring support from people that were like, Oh my gosh, like, I'm so proud of you. Like, we're so excited for you. Like you're beautiful. And just like all these things. And I felt like in the past, like when someone would compliment me, I would just be like, Oh, like you're just saying that. But like, I truly felt like all of these compliments were like very genuine. And I have a lot of really great friends and just a lot of people within like the alopecia community who were just like so supportive and like encouraging. And honestly, reactions from like everyone went better than expected. And the people that didn't have nice things to say are no longer like a part of my life. So it worked out really well. Yeah, it must have been nice. I mean, after the fact, to be able to weed some of those people out, obviously, it's not nice in the moment because you want everything to be positive. You don't want to go through a negative circumstance. But it must have been nice to, right. you know, after the fact, to be able to say, okay, this isn't what I need in my life. And now I've moved on. Yeah, alopecia has definitely been the best filter that I guess I never really realized until like later adulthood. Um, just with like weeding people out who aren't like who are superficial or not like good friends or good people, um, in like relationships and just life. Um, so it's been like the best filter and it's honestly something that I'm very grateful for now. Now, what was it like for you both athletically and just in your life being able to literally like lift the burden that the wig had put on you, um, just from like a stress standpoint, um, just, just, just to, just to take that off once you are like completely out and all of a sudden it wasn't a surprise to people that you weren't wearing the wig. Um, what was that like for you just being able to, to live without that burden? It has been the most incredible, just like trans, like transformation. Just, I feel like I'm finally me, like I'm finally living the life that I was always destined and like made to live. Like, I don't feel like I have this big secret. I don't worry about like, oh, I can't go in the pool because like I have this wig on or like, I can't do that because like of my wig. And that's something that I would always think of. 
And now like that isn't even a thought and just like being able to live like free and just like the way that like I'm made to and I took control of my alopecia and just have really seen like how strong of a person I really am. It's been just like the greatest blessing. Oh, I can imagine. And how has it affected your running life now that you're not wearing that wig? Um, It is 10 times better. I feel like when I used to run, I would always kind of look down, um, just like at my feet or like right in front of me. And now I like really carry my head high. I love just like really looking around at like everything around me and just like really taking all of it. And I feel like I definitely missed a lot by just being so like self-conscious and just so like in my own kind of zone that I wouldn't want to look around at people. I wouldn't want to make eye contact with people because I always felt like if I did, like they, I just would always be like, oh, they're staring at me because I have a wig or like they know this is a wig. And like that would always be my thought. So I definitely like missed out on a lot of, I guess, probably people I could have met, but also like the scenery and things like that. Um, but it definitely has made me just a more confident runner. And I feel like when you run with confidence, like you just do better when you're confident in yourself, like it shows in your running, you kind of like go out and like really like take charge, you don't hold back. And so it's definitely made me a much better runner. Yeah. Did you ever have periods where like you would rationalize, you know, like, you know, shoot, anytime there's a tough workout, right? Like, mm-hmm. like I'll speak for my own self here. I will look for mm-hmm. any rationalization to like slow down yeah. or like do anything yeah. again. You know, I, I've like, like, I feel like I have an angel on one shoulder, a devil on the other, right? The devil's yeah. like, Hey, hey, <laughs> slow down, you know? And then like For the sure. other side, you're trying to like fight the good fight and kind of keep pushing, keep pushing, keep pushing. Did you ever mm-hmm. like you now looking back on it, ever say like, all right, maybe like I rationalize like not pushing myself as much as I needed to because I was like understandably worried about what would happen with the wig or anything like that. Oh, for sure. Um, especially like living in Charlotte, like it's hot and humid and I'd be like, oh, like, I probably shouldn't run as fast. Or like, maybe if I only do like three less miles, so I don't get as sweaty. Like, I definitely had that mindset, like very early on. And I felt like I didn't push myself and like, give it my all all the time, just because I would kind of use that as like my safety, but also an excuse in like regards to um, and I was like, well, no one's gonna like question me, like no one's gonna, you know, like say anything to me. And so like, yeah, I definitely would use my alopecia as an excuse. Or there were certain kind of like workouts or something like that. I just like wouldn't do it because I was like, oh, that's like a lot of like jumping and movement and things like that. And I mean, my my, my weight could come off. And so, yeah. All right. So you've run a whole bunch of marathons. Let's get let's get the official count. <laughs> um, 36. 36. How many half marathons? 83. 83. All right. So you're racing yeah. all the time. All right. So yeah. again, these are in no particular <laughs> order. But what are some of the goals that you've accomplished in the past that you've been most proud of? Um, definitely PRing at the San Diego marathon last summer. I felt like San Diego, that was my first bald marathon. Um, and it was like, just like such a special city and such a special, special race. And like, just being able like to PR there has been just like such an incredible feeling that whole city is just so special to me. Um, running the New York marathon has been amazing and definitely just, um, I've ran like a ton of rock and roll races and I've gotten to meet like Des Linden and Mev and just like so many like moments like that. And just honestly, like every marathon I get to do is so special. Um, yeah, I've like loved all of them. I love like traveling to a race, um, San Francisco marathon, Chicago, LA. Um, yeah, I've just like loved it all. Um, and I'm hoping to like make my hundredth half grandma's marathon or grandma's half marathon um next summer just like celebrate a big milestone where like my first marathon was so like that's kind of what i'm shooting for now 
Wait, so you're planning on running 18 half marathons between now and next year at this time? Yes, I've got a schedule. (laughs) (laughs) You are a machine, Lindsay. All right, so let's talk about, all right, so you're, you're, I I was joking around with Sarah Bishop uh, the other day over text message. She said that she's a serial racer. I said, so am I, but I spelled mine C-E-R-E-A-L as opposed to, you know, like, you know, a consistent racer. So how do you uh, order your schedule with the idea of like, obviously you love racing. So Mm -hmm. how often do you have a race that you really want to have as like a goal race versus just like you're racing because you just love to do it? Um, um, every race I definitely go in and like give it my all. And I set like a time for myself that I want to get. And I don't know. I just, yeah, I go in with like a very like determined attitude in every race. And I know like, it's not always going to happen, but I just go in with like the mindset that it is going to happen. Um, and so that's something that like has always worked well for me. And I think too, like not having a good race and like not getting the time I want, just knowing like I have another race to look forward to that really helps me kind of shake it off and forget about it instead of saying like staying and just like stressing about it or like feeling upset and whatnot. I'm like, Oh, I have this race to look forward to. I'm going to get it this time. And so just, you know, bouncing to the next race and like altering like what I do, whether it's like a few training in between, or maybe it's like the next weekend or something. Um, I just love having that next thing to look forward to. So I don't have any time to really kind of like feel upset at myself and just, it helps me kind of get over a bad race. So do you have any overarching time goals at, at any certain distance? Um, the marathon 325 is my goal and I'm going to do Savannah in, um, the beginning of November and that's very flat. So I would love to break 325 in Savannah and the half definitely halves are harder for me than a full marathon is. And so I'm still trying to really improve my halftime, but I would like to be at like 140 by the end of the year. Got so 140 end of the, by the end of the calendar year. Yes. Got it. Okay. So Lord knows you'll have enough chances if you're running them every other weekend. (laughs) Um, that's, that is, that is remarkable. Okay. So let's talk about, um, bouncing back from a race that didn't go well. You race all the time. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. what are some tips that you would give people who, you know, feel like they have a race that doesn't go well and they're burdened by it and they just have a hard time re-engaging with their training or signing up for another race? What are some things that you've learned as someone who races all the time that might be, might be able to help them? Um, I would say something that just like remaining positive in it. Um, obviously every race like hasn't been great and it's not always going to be great, but I just always try to think of it as like unhealthy and I got to cross the finish line. And so that has always helped me. Um, just like looking at it from that perspective And also I like log every training run that I do. I like write down like what my splits were and what my distance was. And I see like after my race, I like look back and see like, oh, was there like a stretch where, you know, that really didn't go well. So that's something I need to like shift and focus on for my next race. But I think too, just like the love of running and like always wanting to get better, like you're never going to get better and you're never going to have a better race. Like if you don't get up and do it again, like you just have to forget about it, shake it off and just move on to the next one. And if you don't, then you're just, you know, kind of going to be stuck in that same place. Yeah, that's a good point. All right. So how are ways that you've been able to embrace your differences in a way that, you know, you find uplifting versus the idea of like tolerating 
differences, which is, I think is something that we always talk about. Um, we talk about differences and diversity and things like that, that, that toleration is usually the word that gets used as opposed to embracing. Um, I mean, not only in, you know, embracing your own differences, but embracing other people's. I think, um, when you finally get to a point where you have like accepted your differences and you like love that difference about you and see like really positive things that it is, um, it definitely makes it a lot easier to like see that in other people and also to be able to like relate and help them, even if they're not necessarily going through like the same struggle as you maybe, but just like knowing what it feels like. I think like if you can like be that friend or that encouragement to someone else is like the greatest feeling. Cause you think if that was me, like I would want someone to help me and encourage me. And so just like always trying to be that person for someone else because you never know like what that could lead to. Um, and I just think it's like the greatest feeling just to be able to bless somebody else. That's a great point. Lindsay, thank you so much for coming on this podcast. I really appreciate it. This has been uh, so much fun and uh, good luck with all your races. What's the next one? Thank you so much. Um, the San Francisco Marathon and the end of July, maybe a half okay. in two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> You'll either be doing it like, you know, in your training or at a, uh, at a race, right? You'll be running that distance anyway. At this point, do you yes. just get like, is this, is there like a frequent flyer miles for races that you can tap into? Cause I mean, I feel like you're going to um, get broke on all these race fees. Yeah. So I definitely have, um, the American Airlines card, which has came in clutch and I've just racked up a ton of miles. So I've been able to, and I love like planning and organizing. So I definitely have been able to like steal a lot of deals and plan it out well in advance. Um, so it's like worked out really, really well, actually. <laughs> there you go. All right, Lindsay, thank you so much for coming on. <laughs> of course. Thank you so much for having me. Lindsay, thank you again for coming on the show. This was such a fun conversation. Man, these, these people who run races all the time, they just amaze me. It really, it's like the opposite of what I do as a runner. And I love hearing all about it. I'm always so curious about how they do it, how they approach it. Um, it's just, it really is amazing. And, and her story is amazing for so many reasons and not just that. So thank you for coming on the show. Also, big shout out, of course, to Mercury Mile, the presenting sponsor of this podcast. I love these guys. If you haven't checked them out, I don't know what you're waiting for. If you're listening to this show, I'm sure you listen to other episodes and you know I'm always espousing the virtues of Mercury Mile. Just go on their website, mercurymile.com, and see for yourself. Order a box. It's not a subscription service. You get a box whenever you want one. And if you don't like anything in it, you can just send it back. It's so darn easy. So thank you again for listening. I really appreciate it. And happy running. This has been a production of Rambling Runner Podcast. This podcast is produced by David Margetti of InPost Media. Thank you to Meta P for the music. His song, Righteous Path, featuring Rex Mayhem and Chip Fu, is produced by Symphonic Bang. Yeah. Enterprising in my surroundings, I'm finding the quietest estates these days. This representation of storm brewing amazed that the focus remains the vocal focal point of my change. I'm trying to show this industry.